Hey, and welcome to Evan Christian Voices with the Virginia Church Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Reynolds, and I am joined by at least my favorite, um, and I think at least his wife's favorite communications director, Class Church Health Guy, downtown Justin Nash. What up, Jay Nash? Not much. I hope I'm my wife's favorite, but it is questionable. <laughs> um, now, we are seeking to lead the discussion while providing practical advice on church health among Advent Christian churches. Um, and today, our topic of discussion is why good ecclesiology is critical to the health of the local church. Okay. And I think this is something that we don't normally think about when we think about church health. Uh, I think different aspects of theology and how they apply, but I think ecclesiology, I'm becoming more and more convinced, is really critical to having a healthy church. So I guess it would be useful then for maybe folks who don't know, or just for clarity's sake, when we talk about ecclesiology, how would you define ecclesiology? I would define it as the theological discipline pertaining to the church's structure. It's essentially how the church is set up. Um, how is it led? How is it? Um, how are decisions made? Um, how would you define it? Yeah, I, I think just simply the study of the doctrines of the church is what I mm-hmm. is the way I think about it. It's the ecclesia, the ecclesia, so the the, the assembling of the saints, and it's just the study of that. Yeah. So, so like, that. so like you might include things like what is the role of a church member? What's the role of an elder and a deacon? Right. Um, What's the mission of the church? So there's a lot of different things that kind of fall under the umbrella of ecclesiology, I think. Right. Uh, Questions of membership, church discipline, uh, polity, governance, how's your church governed, uh, baptism, Mm -hmm. Lord's Supper. I think these are all things that fall under that umbrella. The the one thing that I'm really think about here, though, I think is really important when you think about church health, is really the nature of the church. Mm Mm-hmm. What is it? What is this intended character? What is the church supposed to be? We talk so often about what the church does or is supposed to do, but we don't focus nearly enough on what the church is called to be. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that's a critical part of this, this whole discussion about ecclesiology and how we move forward with that and, and how that shapes the, the church. Yeah. Can you give like just kind of a couple of examples of different types of ecclesiology that might be helpful for some, for some folks. Well, I think we, you, you sort of um, try to answer the question, but I think you, you get into issues of, okay, let's look at church governance and say, you'll have different views on polity. You'll have congregationalism. You'll have uh, more of an Episcopalian model. You can have the, uh, Presbyterian model you can have some yeah, elder elder led but not elder ruled congregationalism mm-hmm. um, you get into baptism you get into different modes of baptism you get mm-hmm. things like credo baptism versus pedo baptism the Lord's Supper and you can get into a discussion there even amongst Protestants about what is the meaning and the purpose and what is the form of the the Lord's Supper, do we use one loaf? Is it okay to use little pieces of bread? Is it okay to use little cups? Should we use actual wine? All these different all these different questions. So I think all those things sort of fall under that that broad rubric of ecclesiology. And there's a lot of diversity and there's a lot of just there's a lot of 
good, well-informed, thoughtful opinions and good Christian people that disagree on some of these issues. Yeah, you know, I think the interesting thing is how, you know, you can look at whether it be elder-led but congregational affirming or congregationalism, or you can see um, the biblical aspects in, in each of those, but you can also see how in a lot of circumstances um, that they can be abused or misused or they're used in a, in a non-biblical or unbiblical way. So, like, I think of congregationalism, which I think most of our churches, you'd have a better idea of this, Justin, but um, most, if not all, or, or excuse me, most, um, if or maybe many of our churches are congregationalist, but there's a different difference between um, the congregation, say, affirming decisions made by leaders, you know, so leaders bring to the church. I think this is kind of the elder led or we have a lot of boards, right? So board led, essentially churches and the congregation then affirms, but you have hyper congregationalism, which can be really dangerous where you have to vote on literally everything, whether or not the secretary can purchase paper for the week to have bulletins, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, those are the kinds of questions you think about, but I think good ecclesiologies is important when you think about, I think that those are good questions or important questions, but I want to pivot back to that first question. What is the church supposed to be? What is its nature? What is its character ontologically? What is the church? Mm-hmm. Cause I think if we don't understand what the church is, we'll misconstrue what the church is supposed to do. So and is the church a country club? Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. is it, is it a hospital for sinners? Is it a museum for saints? All these different cliches kind of things. But yeah, it really becomes a question. What is the church? Mm-hmm. What is it called to be? Mm-hmm. And because doing grows out of being. And so if we have a view that the church is a country club for members, though we would probably never really express it that explicitly, then it's going to affect our practice. It's going to express how they, how we spend our money, how we organize our activities, what activities we do, our priorities, all those different things are going to flow out of that, that being in that nature. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing is that when we fail to understand what the church is as individual members, we fail to understand our part and our place in it. Mm-hmm. I think one of the big problems with American Christianity in particular in American evangelicalism, perhaps especially, is that we see our faith as an individual activity, mm-hmm. and we fa- we completely miss the communal nature of what it means to be a Christian. Yeah, we completely miss what it means to do life together, and that's the way the Bible doesn't know anything about a Lone Ranger Christian. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you never see that, and I've expressed that to people like in my own church. And I mean, we're recording this right after we did the podcast on or the episode on on expositional preaching. But I, this has shown up in in my sermons where I try to share with the congregation, like, listen, there's an individual aspect to the faith. Absolutely, God saves you, but He saves you as a part of saving for His people. So when we look at the first century in which the the New Testament was written, they didn't have a concept of individuality quite like we do here in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to understand that God's saving work is to save you and to be a part of his community. Like it's not an either, or it's a both and like there's an individual aspect to it, but it's primarily communal. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's important. And but when people get that wrong, that's why we have people who just flit from church to church all the time, and the church and so churches become they become a commodity to people. And it's okay, what church has the best this or the the best music or the best preaching or the best children's ministry or the best whatever or what meets my needs best? And when we fundamentally understand and believe that the church is about us as individuals, then we have, we've absolutely missed it and we're going to all be weaker for it. Right. You shouldn't, you know, Oh, what's going to serve my needs best is that is an outsider. That's a perspective of someone of a non-Christian. I -hmm. think the Christian's perspective should, and I'm not saying if you have that perspective, you're not a Christian, Um, but I'm saying that you're probably mistaken. Um, But if, if you are a follower of Jesus and you've been saved into this community, you should be asking, where has, where is God calling me to serve here? If we have, if we have issues in our worship ministry, our children's ministry, we have issues with, man, we don't really make people feel welcome all that much, or we're lacking in visitation. Go serve in those areas in which you feel, you know, you feel there's a need. Um, you shouldn't just say, well, I'm going to this other church over there because, um, you know, they have everything all figured out. Well, mm-hmm. one time they probably didn't, you know, they had, they had good folks who, um, realized I need to be a part of the solution. I need to serve my community. I need to serve God in this way. Yeah. In fact, I was talking to, you know, it was like, I was talking to a pastor yesterday and like a lot of our churches are sort of struggling with with the congregation is older and there are very few young people. And he was telling me he's had numerous young families come to the church one time and they'll say, well, we liked your preaching. The people are very friendly, but there's just no young people here for our kids. And he said, you know, if everybody would had stuck who told me that we'd have a huge thriving youth ministry. (laughs) And, and I, we've lost people at our church, a number of people who said, well, there's nothing here for our kids, but it was never like, well, maybe God's calling me to do something because we want to outsource so much of our responsibility. And again, but it goes back to the nature of what is the church? What's the purpose of the church? And if we see that the church is there to serve us primarily, then we're going to make decisions like that. And they make perfect sense. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's, it's difficult. And you think about the nature of the church. I was thinking through John 13, 34 and 35 the other day where Jesus says, if a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I've loved you. Well, the defining mark of the church is to be love and our love for one another. That's what defines us as followers of Jesus and I just think how many church health efforts focus on something like that and think, yeah. okay, how do, how do we address that? No, it's always how we address more cosmetic things, more, more kind of practical issues. But the hard issues are really what are, are where everything began and end in a That's church. Right. And so we've really got to work through those things. So when we think about develop, see, and the other thing I would say about it, I think everybody has an ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. It's either a good one or a bad one. Like, and most are bad. Mo- yeah, I think most are. And e- American evangelicalism, I think that's true. Yeah. So everybody has an ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. So how then do we develop a good, and by good, I, I would define it as a biblical ecclesiology? I have, a f- I have a few things, and I'm interested to hear what you have to say and how much overlap we have. But I, mm-hmm. I said um, 
study the scriptures together. Um, and that means getting people in your leadership, um, get leadership buy-in first and um, read the scriptures together. What does it look like? What does good ecclesiology look like? Um, put all the cards on the table. So I, I encourage this in all aspects of, of church life. Put everything in your life, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, everything that you have, which is the true meaning of fellowship within the life of the church, everything on the table and say, God, do with it what you please. Um, read good material on the subject. And I encourage you to read anything from nine marks. That's really just the, the place that today is knocking it out of the park um, that has good material on, on it. And then move slowly. Um, move slowly in trying to transition your church into a more biblical direction as, as far as how it's set up. However, keep a finger on the pulse to see what the church can handle. Um, are they ready to move forward or not? Do you need to slow down or speed up? So, Yeah, those are all good. I, I concur with all that. Uh, one of the things that I, have, uh, that I had written down was this, really, it does require a, cal- a careful reading of Scripture with a healthy dose of humility, mm. w- which graciously allows for Christian liberty. Mm-hmm. Because again, the re- the reality is, and is that it would have been really nice if the Lord had just said, "Okay, this is what a church is. This is how you structure a church. This is how what it was supposed to look like. This is your polity." But He didn't do that, mm-hmm. and so there are areas where, again, godly people, thoughtful people, intelligent people can disagree. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm a credo Baptist, for instance. Mm-hmm. I don't I. Like I would reject any notion of pedo baptism being legitimate, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean I think that my Presbyterian brothers are not Christian, mm-hmm. or not not even not even that they're not biblical. It's just that we un, we understand it differently, mm-hmm. and so I think you, you we have to be willing to say, okay, there's there are clear things. Baptism and Lord's Supper are two ordinances the Lord gave the church, clearly, but then. How, how those are practiced and, and some of those questions are things that we just have to go, okay, uh, all right, it's not clear. If you're making a compelling biblical case for it, then, okay, that seems reasonable. So I, I just think it has to be sort of in, in those issues. We, we have to have some humility about it and approach, approach it and understand that there, there are areas for liberty when it comes to the exercise of some of these things. Yeah. And I would, you know, just to, I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast before, but I remember coming to my church and um, when I was candidating and whatnot, and there's kind of a mixture uh, and my church knows about this. So I'm not sharing anything here on the podcast that my church doesn't already know um, that we've kind of confused. I think a lot of Advent Christians churches are this way. We've confused the role of elder and deacon and um, that causes a whole lot of issues. And I remember having that conversation before I got here. And, and as I've been here, I've shared it with the congregation, tried to do some teaching on it. Um, but I've been encouraged because I thought when I got here, I'm like, oh, man, you got to change this right away. But I found out, and I forget how, I might have read it somewhere or listened to it, but John Piper's church, when he got there, it took him 10 years to get the congregation to vote on deacons solely on the basis of biblical qualifications rather than worldly qualifications. 10 years. He's one of the best preachers and um, pastors and theologians of the last, you know, 30 years. Um, 
and he, you know, he moved as slowly as he did. And I think that that's encouraging. Yeah. Another thing that I think is important as you think about it is that's been helpful for me is when you look in the scripture and you look at just the different, the different metaphors that are used for the church. I think that can be helpful in understanding what the church is and what it's intended to be, whether it's a metaphor of a family, a household, a building, a body, all these different things. I think all those things, all those metaphors that have so much to teach us about what the, what the church is and is, is supposed to be and it's, and it's nature. And so that's one thing that I've found helpful in trying to, to develop a, a good ecclesiology. And, and honestly, it's something I'm still, I'm working through a lot of these things, trying to figure them out because some of them, honestly, I don't know that I ever really thought about in a, in a serious way before I just sort of taken what was given and, and, and now I'm trying to work through that. And, but it really becoming convinced that really is important I did want to ask you a question from um, sort of a practical theological perspective. When we're working through these kinds of issues, how careful do we need to be distinguishing between the church and Israel in this discussion? Because, Because I think a lot of times what I see folks do is they will apply things to the church that I think were only meant for Israel. And, 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 but then sometimes I think there is some crossover and I'm just wondering how you, as you work through this, how you make those discernments of, okay, th- okay, this is, this is a principle that applies to all God's covenant people for all time versus this is um, an issue that only applies to Israel. So it doesn't really apply to the church anymore carefully um, <laughs> I think because uh, when it comes to the theology of Israel um, I think that a lot of people for them that becomes a political issue um, and whatnot so anytime you talk about Israel whether it's in a biblical or a or theological context even in the context of the church that people's ears perk up because there's a lot of political connotation there. So we have to be careful whenever we talk about Israel, I think, because of that. Um, but you have to look at the context in which whatever it might be. So are we talking about you know, ceremonial laws, food laws, dietary laws? And you have to understand, you have to have a good biblical theology as to why did God give those laws to the Israelites? Well, he gave those laws to the Israelites because the way in which the nations would see Israel and know of God's provision and care and that they were set apart for God and by God were those dietary laws, were those ceremonial laws. That's what kept them different. Now, as you quoted uh, John 13 earlier, which I'm preaching on here this, this Sunday, I like how you tied that in there, is God or Jesus says that the way that the world will know that you are my disciples is by what? The way that you love one another. So um, that is the new commandment, he says. So we look at the, the church is set apart from the world by God, but the thing that separates them from the world isn't the dietary or ceremonial laws. The thing that separates them from the world is the blood of Christ, is their being um, saved by him continually you know, once and for all, but also continually 
and the manifestation of that is the church's love for one another. Good. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I think okay. so. It's 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 a probably not a fair question. Probably a whole podcast by itself. But, probably. Um, so just okay. So kind of wrapping things up and closing then. What advice or encouragement we get, would you give to a pastor to really work on their ecclesiology, to develop a good biblical ecclesiology, especially in a church culture where maybe it, it's not present, where they really have an, an implied or understood ecclesiology that's really not very good? Um, can I, for, I, I, you know, I, I just want to say I made a lot of mis. I've only been here a year and a half. I've made a, a lot of mistakes, although my people have been very patient and, um, you know, they're, they're encouraging when I say things like that. But, um, I came into a situation in which I thought, oh, well, everybody I listen to, everybody, all the books I read, they never say how slowly or how quickly to move to transition to church. They just kind of assume well, the assumption reading is, well, if this isn't you, you're wrong um, and you're unbiblical. So it's like, okay, I have a mini panic attack in all those situations. Instead, the best advice I've ever had from pastors, um, people far wiser than I am, is to be patient. Um, be patient with your leaders. Be patient with your congregation. Move slowly. Um, you don't have to have everything accomplished overnight. You don't even have to have everything accomplished in five years. God is continually caring for his church. And whether you're there five or 10 or 15 years from now, he's going to continue that church to, to grow them and hopefully move in a biblical direction as far as ecclesiology is concerned. But also talk to people about it. I've been surprised. I mean, because I can often put my foot in my mouth. I often overspeak. I often overshare. But I've told people like, listen, hey, we – We've kind of messed this up over time. And let me show you how. Let me show you why. Let me show you what the Bible says um, about these different things regarding ecclesiology. And people have been really receptive about it. Now, I'm also blessed with a church that loves Scripture, um, loves, loves, loves Scripture. I don't have to convince anybody to read their Bible. I don't have to convince anyone to listen to a sermon that's focused on the Bible. Um, so that's, that might be a bit of a challenge for other churches. Um, and then read good or get people to read good articles, books, and material. You can even find articles that are a page long, a thousand words or less. And that can often be more effective than giving someone a book. Um, so. Yeah, I think uh, just to echo what you said, read widely. I'd encourage that. You mentioned nine marks. Uh, that's that. To me, that's been the most helpful from an ecclesiology point of view. Now, they do have a very particular position on things, elder-led congregationalism, mm -hmm. but they're Baptist, and and so and so if you're more of a you know more of a Presbyterian model or whatever, there there are certainly a lot of good Reformed people out there for that. But read read widely and try to understand it. But then, just the thing that you said, I think is most important is take your time. Go slowly making changes because you're when you're when you start messing with with issues of polity, man. People people get upset in a hurry, especially in in churches that are very congregational. People feel like they're losing something. They feel like they're losing power, uh, particularly in America where everything's very democratic, and and so regardless of what changes you make. You just want to help people 
understand that and don't move until people are ready. I remember reading an article uh, or a chapter out of a book by Brian Croft who transitioned his church to an eldership and he got right on the, the eve of the vote and the church was pretty split over the issue and but he had enough votes to pass it he just decided to take it off the table and he ran around and started talking to people and what he understood was people didn't even they didn't really understand what elders were like they thought he was trying to turn them into a presbyterian church Mm -hmm. and so he took another year or two years to just teach and clarify and then the next time they took the vote like a year and a half two years later it passed unanimously just Mm -hmm. because people understood at that point they, they didn't understand before so i I think we don't ever we don't ever want to assume people know what we mean Mm -hmm. Uh, we want to make sure that we're as clear as we can be when we're teaching and leading those things so that that was that's really the big takeaway as you if you try to move in any different direction in terms of your ecclesiology and what it means for the practice and structure of your church take your time go slowly be clear make sure people understand the why behind the what you're doing Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and ecclesiology is so important because it's going to lend itself to allow the church to better care for itself. It's going to allow you to really be on mission more. It's just going to, it's going to create a much healthier environment for the people of God to flourish for God's glory and his pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, good deal. That was a good conversation. I hope it was good. I enjoyed it. Maybe somebody, maybe one of the two other people that listen to this will enjoy it as well. So. Yeah, I'm not sure. We need to talk to Tom to see how many people we're not speaking to. Yeah, <laughs> we, we'd probably rather not know that. I'm sure. I'm sure there are at least seven billion people that do not listen to us. That's a, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, um, they're 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 all missing out. To right. be sure. Right. To be sure. All right, guys. God bless. Take care, and uh, hopefully we didn't stick it up too bad. <laughs> <laughs>